Well, good morning. Good to have you with us this morning. Hey, as we look towards Christmas and celebrating together, I wanted to let you know that this year, Christmas Eve actually happens on a Sunday. And so here's going to be our schedule, and I want to share it with you so that you'll take the opportunity to get the tickets. They're not for sale. They're simply make sure that we have enough seats in our services. So all Christmas Eve services are going to be in the South Auditorium this year. One, the first one is actually going to be on the Thursday night before Christmas. Uh, so it's like Christmas Eve, 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 Eve. The, the, the thing is the 21st, but it's going to be in the South Auditorium at 730. It's an opportunity if you're going out of town for Christmas that you can still share in a Christmas Eve service with us. And then on Sunday morning, we'll have a 930 Christmas Eve service, 930 in the morning, uh, at 11 o'clock, and then a 4.30 and then a 6 o'clock. So pick the time that you think would best serve your family Thursday or sometime on Sunday and grab a ticket per person. Again, they're free. They simply will help us make sure that we have enough seating, all of them over in the South Auditorium. So when you exit each of the auditoriums today, these tickets will be available. I encourage you to pick one up, not one, as many per person as will be coming. So let me ask you a question. Did you ever, as a kid... Hear your parents say things over and over and over and over and over again so that you thought, when I grow up, I will never say those things. And then you did. Yeah, lots of us had those experiences. I could not figure out why my father was so committed to me turning off the lights until <laughs> I started paying the bill. And then I was repeating him, turn off the lights, close the door, we're not cooling the house, all that stuff. One thing that they did tell me as a kid that I thought, when I'm a parent, I'm going to say that because that worked for me. You probably were told it. If you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Hey, that made sense to me as a kid. I was like, okay, I can turn that switch off. I'll stop crying. And I realized my kids could turn that switch off as well. And so some things, what I realized is this, some things get repeated so much to us that even if we don't agree with it, we find ourselves repeating it. And things that we do agree with, we repeat. That is the power of repeated example. And I want us to think in that way just briefly for a moment because as we encounter Jesus in Mark chapter 6 this morning, we're going to get a brief, quick, repeated example that highlights what we have seen multiple times through the life of Jesus thus far since we started the Gospel of Mark last Easter, that I hope that you're going, huh, that's actually beginning to work its way into the fabric of my life. So if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 45 and 46 to begin with, and then we'll jump into the unique encounter of this passage. If you don't have a, a Bible with you, no problem. It'll be right here on the screen beside me. It says in Mark chapter 6, these two verses, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, that's a little town, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Can you see some of the repeated examples? Uh, the things that we have marked about the life of Jesus repeatedly thus far, I just want to, we're not going to spend long on them, I just want to remind us because I hope they're working their way into the fabric of our lives. First, 
the refusal to delay, what was the first word in verse 45? Immediately, one of the most used words actually in the gospel of Mark. Immediately, 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 immediately. So, don't pass by that too quickly. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything that the Lord has put on your heart, prompted you with, that you've been putting off? Immediately has not yet worked its way into the fabric of your heart. See, Jesus was immediate in his kingdom activity and his kingdom responsiveness. So, his refusal to delay. Second, the privilege of prayer. Not the command to pray, not the duty to pray, the privilege. That's the key word there, the privilege to pray. And when Jesus repeatedly demonstrated by his example the privilege of prayer, it was often connected to what else as it is in this text again. Yes, the fact that he was in solitude, he would often go away by himself to pray. And so it just, it struck me. I thought, I wonder, we've been at this for now more than seven months. I wonder, have any of you begun to practice in some small way immediately, immediate obedience or solitude for prayer? Like, here's the easiest way, unless you're a mom with a bunch of little kids, here's the easiest way to have solitude for prayer. Get in your car and don't turn on any noise. And use the drive to talk to the Lord, for me, out loud. When I try and talk to the Lord in my head, my mind goes everywhere. That just doesn't work. So talk to him out loud. Now, if Jackie's in the car, I talk to her because that's weird. (laughs) If I'm talking to the Lord out loud and she's in the car, I might give her the wrong idea that she's the Lord or something. Just playing, come on. Okay. So I hope that you would say, huh, I have begun to think of prayer, not as a duty, not as a command, not something I should do more of, but the incredible privilege to talk to the Lord God Almighty of heaven and earth as heavenly Father. Father, the one who cares and listens and knows and sees and loves and serves and works. And the value of getting alone with him. That you would recognize until you turn off all the other noise, you're going to miss some things that the Father has for you. You're just not going to hear it above all the other stuff. So solitude, the privilege of prayer, and then responding immediately. That's the repeated example. All right, now on to verse 47 and the unique encounter. When it was evening, the boat that the disciples were in was in the middle of the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars, which means what? The wind's blowing hard, and they're trying to work against it. They're straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. How? Walking on the water. Yeah, you are like, yeah, yeah. He, he was walking on the water. Painted the house, took out the trash, walked on the water. Now, he walked on the water and he intended to pass by them, which kind of cracks me up. It's like, was he just going to go, hey, keep straining? I'm walking. 
no, no problem for me. He intends to pass by them. But, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost. And so John turns to Peter and goes, hey, Peter, you see that ghost? No. What's he say? Ghost. Because when you see a ghost or you think you see a ghost, you don't say it as a matter of fact. They cried out and they're terrified. It's night. It's about four o'clock, three or four o'clock in the morning. And they see what they think is a ghost. Now, why in the world would they think that Jesus is a ghost? Yeah, this is not hard to figure out because he's walking on water and anybody who's somebody who walks on water sinks. So it must be a ghost because a ghost is spirit and the spirit wouldn't sink. So it must be a ghost and Jesus said us that way. He went that way. It can't be him. He's off praying. So that's what's happening. And they are terrified, which is what happens when you think you see a ghost. They cry out, ghost. But immediately he spoke with them and said, take courage. I do not be afraid. Now, when I put myself in the text, I know that when I'm afraid and then somebody says, well, don't be afraid. I don't go, oh, okay, I won't be afraid. (laughs) Takes a little bit of wind down time, doesn't it? So you can imagine that there's this little bit of, what? Not a ghost? Okay, it's really him, sound like him, looks like him. But what I find fascinating is this. The Gospel of Mark, most scholars, much, much smarter than me, believe that the Gospel of Mark written by Mark was not actually written by his own eyewitness. He wrote with Peter as his primary earthly source. In other words, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was writing according to what Peter told him which I find fascinating because we don't find in this gospel, in this encounter, what Matthew tells us happens with Peter, even though Peter is Mark's source. So uh, in Matthew, we get a little extra in this story. They say, ghost, he says, no, don't be afraid, it's me. But Matthew 14 Verses 28 through 32, give us this extra. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, what? Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. That's not phenomenal. He gets out and he walks on. I've tried to put myself in this situation so many times. Taking that that first leg and swinging it over the side of the boat and putting it on the water. But you're probably not putting the weight on the water yet because because you would sink. So you you, you go, oh, am I going to put my weight on? And at some point you got to transition But at some point when you gotta walk, you gotta let go. And where are you watching? I think I, I think I'm looking at my feet. And he lets go and they don't sing. And step, 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 moving toward Jesus. With each step, I'm here where he's going. And the guys are going, 
then he sees the wind, which is hard to do. <laughs> he became frightened and beginning to sink. Because fear and faith are like oil and water. They never mix. Because when he has faith, what, where is he? On top of the water. And when fear, because they don't mix, when fear sets in, he sinks. Lord, save me! And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him. You have little faith. Why'd you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Now, stay in, stay in that picture. Three, four in the morning, dark. How many guys are in the boat? Probably 13. Doesn't specifically name all the disciples, but he said he, he sent the disciples away in the boat so we can assume there was 12 of them in the boat. Now Jesus is in the boat with them. But look around. Jesus is there. Peter's there, dripping wet. Probably shaking. I mean, put your, you, you've just walked on water. That'd make you shake just in amazement there. But then you thought you were going to drown. And then Jesus grabbed you. And he took you over, and now you're sitting in the boat. And you're looking around at the other guys in the boat, because there's 11 other guys in the boat, plus Jesus, and they're all dry. Thinking what? <laughs> That's what happens when you walk on water, dude. You sink. Do you think any of them are thinking, man, I wish I was wet. Wish I'd have walked. See, I, I, find, this, I find this fascinating to, to wonder what would have been in the head of those guys who never had gotten out of the boat and were dry, but looking at the, the dripping, shaking, wet guy thinking, way to go, or thinking, what an idiot. Because, see, we sterilize it too much. If you were in that boat, if you were really happening, you would think one of those things. You would think, man, that guy's awesome. Or you would think, that guy's an idiot. It's exactly what you would think, right? You would have an opinion about the matter. So let me ask you, if you can put yourself there that night, who would have you been? Watcher or walker? Walker or watcher? Who would have you been? Did you know? Any of you think you'd have been a, a walker? I love this. Because at 8 o'clock, there were people like. <laughs> and, I, and I said to him, if you put your hand up like that, you're not a walker. <laughs> right? Walkers go. But isn't it you didn't look around because nobody wanted to look. And you didn't have a guy come up to him afterwards. For first hour, he goes, uh, uh, I, I was going up and then nobody. <laughs> See, some things never change. What's true with that night remained true Thursday night at our service, 8 o'clock service, and in this service as well. Among the disciples, the vast majority 
are watchers, not walkers. So, what what has struck me so much about this text because of our approach to the Gospel of Mark in this series is, is this encounter really is an encounter between two wildly different groups. You with me? Walkers and watchers. And it speaks to both of them, recognizing that probably the vast, probably many of you who, by your arm down, identified yourself as a watcher, you would probably go, well, there's been a a few occasions I've got out of my comfort zone and, and, and did something by faith, but that's not really my personality. I don't really tend to do that a lot. And so... I really want us to take the passage and and look at what it has to say first for walkers and then what it has to say to watchers, okay? So whether you identified yourself as a walker or you didn't identify, probably some of you have said, well, I, I have been a walker, it's just not my primary approach. First, keep asking If you're a walker, I want to just encourage you, keep asking Jesus for the privilege to participate in what he's doing. Keep asking him. And there's, I wrote this very specifically, there's two keys to this encouragement. First, keep asking, okay? Keep asking. Jesus was out, uh, and when he said, it's me, Peter said, oh, well, I'm coming out too. No. What did he say? If it's you, invite me to come. See, he, he asked. And I just want to remind us, we say all the time here at the chapel, and I hope you're capturing it, that we believe that he can, and therefore we ask that he will, but we trust whatever he does and praise him no matter what. So we I want to encourage you, whether you're a a walker or a watcher, ask Jesus, what? For the privilege to participate in what he is doing. That's just as key. Because notice Peter did not say, well, Jesus, that's you? That's really cool. But I'd always love to fly. Bid me to fly out to you. Now you may go, well, people don't fly. Well, people don't walk on water either. The point is this. Peter did not say, well, I'd like to do something cool as well. He said, I'd like to do what you are doing. Uh, That is more important than probably I can even grasp. I'm not, when it comes to walking with Jesus and being used by Jesus, I'm not just making stuff up. I'm simply saying, God, can I have the privilege of doing what you are already doing? That's what Peter did. I just want to join you. Henry Blackaby in his work, Experiencing God, says, we don't choose what we'll do for God. He invites us to join him where he wants to involve us. We're asking. And then we're saying, wherever you're working, Lord, I just want to join you. You're asking the Lord? Where's he working that you'd love to join him? 
Does something come to your head? Where, where's he working? In this church, in this community, around the world, where's he working that you would go, God, I'd love to join you in that. But maybe you're afraid. Maybe it feels too radical. Maybe it feels too impossible. Ask him. Next, expect that your path will not be crowded. <laughs> you notice that? Walker's path, people weren't piling their way out of the boat running to, toward Jesus. I actually wonder if Peter, as he put one leg over and one put leg over, if he looked, it was like, anybody going to join me? Sometimes, and maybe this has been your journey, sometimes you get really excited about walking with Jesus and you're like, let's go. And everybody else is like, uh, we're cool. We're all right. And you allowed somebody else's lack of desire to respond to Jesus to slow your response. Is anybody else's kind of casualness, their spiritual apathy poured some cold water on your zeal for the Lord? You see, you go, well, that doesn't sound very encouraging. Expect that it won't be crowded. Hey, but my point is this. If you expect it not to be crowded, then the lack of crowd won't discourage you. So much of life is expectation. And if you think people are making mad rushes at Jesus and our culture, you're going to get discouraged. You're probably going to have to walk some lonely paths, maybe even in your family. Maybe at work, maybe at school, you're going to have to walk some lonely paths if you're going to be responsive to Jesus. Here's the great news. When he got out of the boat and he walked and nobody came with him, he was alone on the water. Not. Because who was with him? Yeah, it sounds so funny, but it actually really hit me that... That Jesus, if you respond to him, you're not just running off on your own thing. You say, Jesus, I want to join you in what you are doing. Can I? And he invites you. Even though no one else comes with you, your greatest joy, your greatest encouragement, your greatest strength is Christ is there with you on the water. That's awesome. That beats the other 11 guys getting out with you. Because <laughs> once you start sinking, they probably start sinking with you. You're just a crowd sinking. <laughs> but the Jesus is with you. He reaches out and can help you. That's sweet. Next, recognize that the fear which did not keep you from starting may keep you from continuing. I've always thought, if I can just get past fear. If you can just get over the hurdle, it'll all be downhill from there, which it was for Peter, if you're tracking with me. <laughs> Once he got over the hurdle, it was all downhill from there. What's the hardest step of faith? The first one? No. 
No, that's what I always thought. Oh, it's the, the hardest step's the first one. No, you know what the hardest step of faith is? The next one. The next one in front of you. Because sometimes it's the first one. We're so juiced up. We're so amped up by how the Lord has spoken to us or, or how he's worked that we go, yes, yes, yes. But then it's 40 days in that we go, she's windy out here. This is hard. Nobody's with me. Again, I just know that there's folks here this morning who had a lot of zeal for the Lord and you took some initial steps of faith. Some of you who, who didn't raise your hand as walkers, you have, you have sought to serve the Lord in supernatural ways and you were hard at it for a period of time, but something happened. And the thing that didn't keep you from starting has kept you from continuing. That's what happened with Peter. Any, any of you look back on your spiritual journey and think about the good old days? Back when you were really trusting Jesus and living by faith. Didn't keep you from starting. I, I'm, really, I'm really challenged by that because uh, prior to meditating on this passage again in these recent weeks, I would have said the hardest step's the first step, but that's not true. It's the next step, which sometimes is the first step. And other times it's the 40th step. And sometimes people walk with Jesus 30 years and then sink. What a shame. Hey, if, if you're struggling, maybe it'd be really, really awesome for you just to remember why you started. That had done Peter really, really good. To just remember, oh, here's what, I, here's, what I, here's what I was believing when I stepped out. I'm not gonna shrink back. And then finally, for walkers, Stumbling, which is because of the walk of faith. Stumbling, Peter's case, sinking, is not proof you should have watched. Which is sometimes what we conclude. Ah, I got all wet. I should have just watched. I should have never tried. It's not proof that you should have watched. It's evidence that your faith simply needs to grow. You know what a, faith, a walk of faith looks like? Looks like this. It's always another step. Every day, another step. Every hour, another step. Every relationship, another step. Every opportunity, another step. Right? We'd prefer it to be more like this. Okay. I'm growing leaps and bounds. Oh. You don't grow leaps and bounds. You don't. You grow a little bit at a time. Who in here has ever had a little kid trying to learn how to walk and they, they finally got up on the coffee table? And, and they step one way and they're down. 
oh, see, you should have never tried. <laughs> ever told a little, little kid trying to learn? You should just, just don't even try. I've seen it a thousand times. Everybody just falls. That's stupid. Sorry, but that's stupid. But so somehow that's how, what we would never do to a, a child in learning to walk, we do to ourselves all the time about walking in faith. We go, see, I, should, I, just, I just always sink. I try, and then I sink. Well, there's no point. I'm just going to settle in, stay dry, and get to heaven. <laughs> Man, what a shame. Look me in the eye, folks, and tell me, Please, 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 please tell me you don't want to just stay dry and get to heaven. Tell me, please, that you go, hey, I know I'm going to fall on my behind in this process, but it's not proof I shouldn't have got out. It's just proof I need, I got more to learn. So many husbands struggling to have a healthy marriage and they, they, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And then they come back 72 hours later. Didn't work. Really? Really? You thought you were going to fix your marriage in 72 hours? It's just not true to life. True to life is right here, folks. Everybody wants to just take a big leap and fix it all. But it's, this is just the way it happens. And then... And then just like when you haven't seen your nephew or whatever for five years, you go, jeez, what happened to you? He didn't go, whoo. Just, just little steps. At some point you go, man, I'm growing in faith. I don't fall on my faith behind near as much as I used to. I don't know if there is such a thing as a faith behind, but you get the picture. You just Walk. So, can I encourage you? There are, there, are, there are today opportunities for every single one of you to get out of your boat. To love in an impossible way, to forgive in an impossible way, to serve in an impossible way, to be, to be patient in an impossible way, to pour out your life to somebody else in an impossible way. And you're going, I've tried, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid. I get it. I get it. Take a step of faith like Peter did. Don't expect a bunch of people to shake the pom-poms and join you. Just know that Jesus will be with you. And know you're going to have to learn. And learning is getting wet. But man, would I far, far, far prefer to be wet and having walked then stay dry and just get my way to heaven. Because in the text, there is a caution to watchers. There's a caution to watchers. Here's what it says, verses 51 and 52. Then he got into the boat, Jesus got into the boat with him, and the wind does what? Stops, goes still. And they were utterly astonished. What? For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. But their heart was hardened. What is that all about? 
What do you mean? The incident of the loaves. Well, many of us have not put together the reality that the incident of the loaves is the feeding of the 5,000, thousands of people from a little boy's lunch that had just happened less than 12 hours previously. So these guys who were in the boat that night had all been the delivery boys to baskets and baskets and baskets and baskets of bread to thousands of people. And they knew they had been there. Oh, we got some boys lunch. They had seen Jesus break bread and break bread and break bread and break fish to multiply. So thousands had been fed and they had collected the leftovers and then they had gotten in the boat. And Jesus comes, what, ghost? No, it's me. Gets back in, wind stops. What? Utterly astonished. Why? What's it say? They had not gained any insight. What the world does that mean? Well, let's write it down, then I'll explain. Watching... This is for the 11. Watching reveals a lack of insight. I didn't make that up. That's what the text says. So go back to the text. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished. This is why Mark says they hadn't gained any insight. Because when the wind stopped, they said, what? And what did Jesus expect? Uh, he expected that they would go, ah, there's Jesus calming the wind again. Wow, son of God. They, honestly, I don't mean fruitless, I don't mean casually. I mean, they, the insight would have been, well, he did, just did take a boy's lunch and feed thousands and he can calm the wind. It's that they were astonished that, that Mark says they hadn't gained insight. So what does that word mean? This is so important. Insight is the setting together. That's literally what the word means. Setting together. So uh, before, you know, just hold, hold on a second here. I want you to cap with this. Setting together. Did your mama ever teach you don't pass the salt without the pepper? If somebody asks for the salt, what do you pass them? Salt and pepper. Why? Because they stay together. Salt and pepper are set together. I don't need the pepper. We pass it together. That's insight. It's setting together that which belongs. In the application here, it's setting together what God has done with what God can do. It's the salt and the pepper. It, it, watch, it's the, here's the expression we would use. Connecting the dots. We would go, you boys couldn't connect the dots from feeding 5,000 from a lunch yesterday and stopping the wind today? You guys couldn't connect the dots that when you, when you saw me walking on the water, not ghost, but ah, there's Jesus. Doing the supernatural. It's what he is. It's, it's what he does because it's who he is. But they, they, they were not, watch, they were not able to connect the dots between what God had done and what God can do. 
Insight is setting it together. So lack of insight, failing to put together, to set together what God has done with what God can do now. That's what they needed. They needed insight. <laughs> do we need insight? Don't, don't just casually say yes. You don't understand what insight would be for you and I? We take the scriptures and to go, well, look what God did then. What would he want to do now? How? Through me. That'd be insight. That I would be able to connect the dots between this scripture and the revealing of who God is and how he works and what he loves and my life today. That's insight. They lacked it. And sometimes we do as well. See, if we had insight, here would be our insightful question. Jesus, don't miss this. Jesus, if you can feed thousands with a boy's lunch, can he? How do we know? Because he has. <laughs> and a fisherman can walk on water, can he? Yes. How do we know? Because he has. Then I, if an insightful question would be to connect the dots. If you can feed thousands with a boy's lunch and a fisherman can walk on water, what's the question then? <laughs> what are you doing that I can join you in doing? Now, now, like, could I join you in leading a family group or discipling a teenager, teaching children, being an alpha host, going to the unreached peoples of the world, be more generous, to start a new ministry, to serve the poor, become a certified biblical counselor, to lead a neighborhood Bible study or outreach? You see what I did here? I didn't just make stuff up. What did I do? It simply said, here's what God is doing. How might you join him? Not because you feel adequate. Because the boys' lunch wasn't adequate and, and Peter had never gone to walk in on water school. But because Jesus bid them, join me. Oh, I can't lead a family group. I mean... <clears throat> There'd be awkward moments of silence and hard questions I wouldn't know how to answer. So everybody knows if, if, if that's going to happen, don't lead it. No. No. You go, Lord, I'm not sure what I'll always say. But I'm going to trust you that if you bid me to come, you'll give me what I need. What's the modern day equivalent of walking on water? Discipling a teenager. <laughs> or it's one of the greatest privileges you could ever engage in. Or to teach children. Or to go, I'll sit at a table where unbelievers who have questions about faith and realities of life, purpose of life, I wouldn't have all the answers. I'd be, <laughs> I'd feel intimidated. I'd feel inadequate. But I'll do that. 
That'd be like walking on water for me. You see what I'm saying? We need insight. The insight that says what God has done, he continues to do, and he invites me to join him. And I'm going to say, yes, Lord, bid me to come, to join you. Not because I feel strong enough, but because I trust in you. Are you doing anything that's risking you getting wet? Some of us are so wet adverse, we, we stay so clear of anything it would possibly cause me to get wet. That's the privilege. So Blackaby says, will God ever ask you to do something you're not able to do? <laughs> uh, yes, all the time. It must be that way for God's glory and kingdom. If we function according to our ability alone, we get the glory. If we function according to the power of the spirit within us, God gets the glory. He wants to reveal himself to a watching world. And you understand, how does he reveal himself to a watching world? By feeding thousands with a boy's lunch, by having a fisherman walk on water, and by you doing something that's in over your head. But you saying, yes, Lord. Which is why Major Ian Thomas says, do not ask what is possible, only ask what is right. That's the key question. What's right? And I'm going to do it. Possible or impossible. But too often, too many Christians are wearing out the seat of their pants instead of the soles of their shoes. Didn't read that anywhere, so I made it up myself. Somebody should have written that, so I did. But you get the picture? We're a bunch of watchers. Just wearing out the seat of our pants. I read through my Bible every year. I'm in four Bible studies. I just love those people so much. And the seat of your pants is worn so thin from watching, 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 watching what God has done and your feet have never broken in the soles of your shoes. For walking. See, I, I'm not down on Bible study. Don't misunderstand me. <laughs> we, really, we need to know what God has done. Why? <laughs> so we can join him in what he is doing. We can have insight is the word. One other issue. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts, heart was hardened. What a horrible thing. What a, these, who are we talking about here? The 12 disciples, their heart was hardened. Wow. How in the world does that happen? I mean, what has God done for our heart? Oh. What we realize as watchers is watching reveals a condition of the heart and the condition is that it's hardened. The very opposite of what God is wanting our heart to be. Not hardened, but responsive. So what has God done? Well, through faith in Jesus, my heart is made new. True or false? Give me, a, 
True or false? Yeah, he has made me new. My heart is forgiven. My heart is free. My heart is redeemed. My heart is made alive. My heart is inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And as such, I ought to be growing in love for God and responsive to his word and work. This is what God has intended to do in our heart. But like then, now the same can happen, that it can all get hardened over. How's that happen? Watch. The heart grows hard when I become a watcher instead of a responder. And the more I become a watcher, the harder the heart becomes. And the harder the heart becomes, the more I become a watcher. And the more I become a watcher, the you see the downward spiral. And it's compelling because the vast majority of us recognize we're more watchers than walkers. I hope you're going, whoa, what do I do? What do I do? Here's my encouragement from Psalm 51. Make this your prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Those are, the, those are the cry of a broken heart that recognized it had grown hard. And so if you're a watcher this morning, this is our prayer. Lord, create in me a clean heart. And how are our hearts made clean? Our hearts are made clean by what Jesus has done on our behalf. And that's where I want us to go to. The men are going to come forward in this and over in the south. They're going to bring the elements, the bread and the cup. If that's unfamiliar to you, the bread is, is a symbol reminding us of the body of Jesus crucified on a cross to be the payment for our sin. The cup, a little cup of juice will follow. That juice is simply a reminder of the blood of Jesus so that our sin would be forgiven and our heart would be made new. When hard hearts become soft, they go back to what Christ has done for them. And so, <clears throat> I want to ask you to do two things. As you wait for the elements or as you hold the elements, would you pray through this prayer yourself? And then after you've prayed through that, Allow your heart to join with Matt in his declare, his declaration and song that, that our hearts would be the Lord's.
In your love, you offered your life. In your love, you suffered and died as the ransom for sin. Cursed and condemned in your love. In your love, I'm fearless and free. In your love, my soul is complete. I'm redeemed by your blood. Healed by your touch, anchored at last in your in our hands are the reminder of the love of God for us. But God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And as the scripture declares that song captured in his love, as we have trusted in Jesus, what is our heart? Fearless and free. Or at least that's the truth so often we lack insight and so fearless and free hearts live fearful and bound up shrinking back you understand that so I'm asking that the Lord would give us insight that we would connect fearless and free hearts to fearless and free acts of faith not perfection we're all going to get wet and we're going to put them back and say thank you Jesus for forgiveness tried I got wet thank you for forgiveness this is the reminder that through Jesus and faith in him our sins are forgiven our heart is free we can live fearlessly
with gratitude to a Savior. Let's take together. Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for setting us free from sin. Setting us free from fear. Lord, that we would live with the dots connected. That we would join you in what you are doing to the fullness of our joy. To your glory we pray. I want to invite you to stand and let's declare that our hearts are indeed the Lord's. south just out to your right in the back we are privileged to be able to pray for you now may we go living fearless and free in his love god bless